Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marbury of Change of Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. Yep, here after a, a thrilling first month of the season for the Padres. Yes, Thrill. and we are not joined by Darren Smith today. Um, we decided we'd be just like the Padres. We'd have something good, and then we'd just snatch it right away from you. Yeah, although that was a great podcast. It was. Great podcast. Yeah, it was. It even exceeded my expectations, and hopefully we'll have Darren on again at some point. Yeah, it really seems like, uh, I mean, I don't know how overt he was about about his opinions of Mike D, but I can read between the lines, and I tweeted out that I, I sat with Gaslamp Ball um, a couple weeks ago uh, at Petco Park, and I really think that... Um, Hating Mike D is finally the issue that will unite all of the Padres factions. I will believe Gaslamp Ball uniting with me when I see it. That's not to say I'm against it. I'm like, you know, if I have an opinion and they agree with me on it, then we're on the same team so long as, you know, there's some sort of friendliness there. And I hope that's something that can unite the fan base. I don't think anyone really thinks Mike D is doing a good job anymore. Um, and it- I mean, even, even, even Mickey, Mickey Coke. Is uh is off the Mike D train, you know. Well, so well for now. Well, and once you lose him, and once you lose Gaslamp Ball, you've lost the war. Yeah, pretty much. Um, all right. Well, maybe we can uh, talk a little bit more about Darren Smith and where he's from, because he's from the Mighty Ten Ninety, and it just broke about twenty minutes ago. And I've been furiously writing a new column uh, about or post. I guess we're not truly a newspaper, but um, anyways, I digress. The Padres have moved from the Mighty 1092 FM 949, uh, which I believe is going to be a significant change for them. I can't remember the last time they changed radio stations. I know they have many times over the years, just none in recent memory that I can remember. No, they. I mean, the only stations to my knowledge that they've been on, I mean, since I've been alive, is 1090. Were they on 690? Yeah, they they must have been on 690. And then 760 KFMB for, for what seemed like ages. Yep. So a couple things on that. Uh, one, I've heard, and I know you've heard the same thing, and I think this will probably come out in the papers or whatever, uh, that the Padres' asking price was absurd um, and that Mighty 1090 walked away from them. You know, that's something that, you know, if they're actually tangibly getting a much larger sum of money, I can't blame them for changing radio stations necessarily. But one of the great things about the Mighty 1090 is that they're stationed in Mexico. And I'm going to have an article about this that comes out tomorrow. So you guys can read the article, which I'll link on the podcast page here, as well as listen to this podcast. But basically, the Padres Mighty 1090 right now is in Mexico. And because of that, they are able to much uh, broadcast a much larger signal. And power dissipates, as, as someone who has a degree in physics, I can tell you that power dissipates proportionally to the square of the distance. And so what that means is when you go twice as far away, you're actually only going to get 25% of the signal. And so when you go from a station that broadcasts 50,000 watts to something that does like maybe 20,000, I don't remember exactly what the 94.9 does, but it's, it's pretty low. You're talking about completely cutting off anything north of Camp Pendleton from, from having a reasonable signal. Uh, and I think that's actually going to cut the Padres off at the knees in terms of their fan base. I remember distinctly at UC Santa Barbara following the team almost every game just on the on the radio. And I know this, you know, 2005 through 2009 when, you know, MLB wasn't broadcasting all their games online quite yet and blackout restrictions were horrible. So, I mean, the only thing I really had was the Mighty 1090 and I could listen to them 
and I could force Dodgers fans as we drove to Costco on a beer run to listen to the Padres game. You know, it's kind of I, I'm kind of sad that you know fellow Gauchos won't have that same experience going forward. I mean, I have a little different standpoint. I mean, I went to college from '99 to 2003 in Virginia, and I was perfectly able to follow games and the team based off of MLB Advanced Media's, um, you know, radio simulcasts on on the internet. Um, I, I'm actually flipping through an old post that you put up and back in. Actually, this is uh, actually something Padres Public put up. The Padres Radio Network um, consists of two stations, 1090 and La Poderosa, uh, I think AM 800, 890, which is weird because they actually own a much larger broadcast territory to include, and this is TV broadcasting, but I assume it's their territory as well, you know, Imperial County, um, I I think Riverside County is technically theirs as well. So it's kind of weird to me that they don't have um, simulcasts on maybe some low wattage stations in those outlying areas. But honestly, as someone that has lived outside of the radio range for, for 10 years, 15, 13 years, um, in today's day and age, I mean, is it really that big a deal? I mean, between Sirius XM or um, MLB at bat on a phone, um, modern cars, Bluetooth, I don't know if it's that big of a deal. And the chargers are on what, 105.7, an FM yeah, station? But, and I mean, you're a physics major. I mean, FM doesn't travel as far as AM. Well, I mean, AM can be heard from Baja to the Canadian Rockies. I mean, one thing there, though, is that no one listens to football on the radio. I mean... I've listened many times. You know, a lot of times you're in the car. Well, you know, obviously I, you'd prefer to watch baseball on FSSD, but sometimes you can't. No, I know, but there's 162 games, and on a, you know, on a Tuesday night when you're driving home from work, you can just flip on the radio station, but... You know, no one's not planning around football on Sunday, or few people are. I don't know. I don't think, I think that's necessarily an apples to apples. I think there's, you know, a significant well, portion I mean, of the fans that the listen to games on the way, you know, from work or listen to sports radio on the way to work uh, that will now be more disconnected from the Padres. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad move because I don't know the numbers yet. Right? Until I see, if we ever see, exactly how much they're getting paid by 94.9 and what the 1090 had offered or, you know, Counter offered or whatever, um, it's going to be really difficult to say it's a good or bad move. All I can say is that they're losing listeners. I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to lose listeners. I don't see how they would win them. I can only well, yeah, I mean, them. they're reducing the territory that they're covering. So of course, I mean, the market potential market is smaller. But honestly, the people in Orange County that are listening to a Padres game, I think, are devoted enough that they would tune in on MLB at bat. I mean, they, they will seek out a way to watch it or to, to listen to the game. I think in San Diego, assuming 94.9 covers most of San Diego County, and I can't speak for the southern portions of the county, but at least from my commute from Encinitas to Point Loma, I have no trouble receiving it. Um, it seems like it covers this market fine. And, and that's, I think, where you're going to get casual listeners who want to tune in on the way home from work. I mean, honestly, if someone's commuting from Anaheim to, to San Clemente, and they care that much about the Padres in, you know, the Angels' home territory, they're going to tune it in on, on on the app, I think. And from what I've heard, and I we've both got our own sources, um, the 1090, and it, look, the Padres being bad it doesn't help 1090 at all. Um, you know, they negotiate a price for, for carrying the team. Um, they devote, you know, some portion of their airtime to the Padres. And as I've been told many a time by people in the industry – um, and I think Garen Smith hinted at it too, that, 
you know, you start talking Padres and those ratings drop immediately. And the way that ratings are tracked with um, with pe the people meters where it's actually listening to what you're listening to, if you tune away because they bring on Andy Green and you're waiting for more stadium talk or more Chargers talk, that's a material hit on the bottom line for a station like 1090. So it makes perfect sense to me to for them to dump it. I mean, between the high rights fees and the ratings just plummeting, um, it, it doesn't make any business sense. And I'm really curious about the impact on the Padres' finances in that if 1090 rejected it, uh, whatever the price was set by the Padres, I'm wondering if the Padres had to lower their price to get 94.9 to bite um, and if that'll have an impact on payroll and spending in the future. I don't know. Uh, one thing I'm quite sure of, though, is that the Padres, or at least 1090, will talk about the Padres less. I think they'll feel less inclined to talk about them. Um, and that's great news for the golden era of Padres podcasts. That means we might have a couple extra listeners as a result. So I'm going to be drinking a celebratory beer tonight. Yeah, I'm actually wondering functionally how this would work at 94.9. And, uh, you know, maybe we should get Stephen Woods on the podcast. He's uh, he's an avid Twitter reader. And uh, I know he's done Padres Public and kept faith. And uh, maybe we should get him on and uh, see what the plan is here. Because I know Woodsy is a, is a baseball guy. He would make sense, you know, in-house to do one of the post-game or pre-game shows. Um I'm not. And I've been, do you think they're willing to give out that information already, or is that something? I'm, I, I mean, don't know. I mean, it's it's un, it's not officially announced. You know, this wasn't a press release from the Padres. This was reported by uh, a Twitter Dennis. guy who specializes. Did Dennis Lynn cover it also? Yeah, I saw Dennis Lynn break it. Okay. Um, well, technically, this other guy broke it, and I retweeted it several hours before Dennis Lynn. Oh. But um, oh, okay. <laughs> I missed um, that. I'm just curious how it'll work there because a sports station can devote time to things like a Mike D interview, you know, Padres Wednesday. They can devote time to that. They can devote time to go to spring training and, and you know, talk to players. Um, I don't know how 94.9 does that. Because you take a look at 105.7 and it's not like they're devoting time to the Chargers during the day as the flagship during the season. Um, so I'm worried that overall – there's just going to be less Padres coverage because 1090 is not going to talk about it. 1360 already barely talks about it. And um, I don't think 94.9 has the format for it. Yeah, I think this is kind of – I think it'll actually kind of go towards what Darren Smith hinted at last podcast or actually outright said, which was that you know Major League Baseball teams are moving towards state-sponsored like coverage, right? Like everything's supposed to go through the Padres at this point. And I think – the proportion of talk you're going to hear about the Padres is going to tilt, you know, away from 1090, away from conventional media and towards the Padres themselves and towards, you know, free media, which I guess is us and the other blogs and, you know, whoever else happens to cover the Padres online. But I, I think ultimately they're going to lose listeners. And I think that's actually more important than the bottom line dollar figure they get. I, I really do um, in the long-term sense. But yeah, hey, I, I would love to have that guy on. Maybe we can get more details because, you know, right now it's it's so fresh. We don't know. I don't know anything about it other than the fact they're switching stations. So um, Yeah, and I think there's very little backup. And I, I don't think 1090 is openly acknowledge it i saw Gennaro hinting at it and i saw darren smith retweeted something but there's no official announcement so 
Um, and I don't imagine we'll actually hear anything concrete from 1090, for instance, for a while. Um, I'm sure that will you know how Mike D and Wayne Partello love to do their big announcements. Um, I'm sure that's coming sometime in the future. If I was 1090, I would never even acknowledge it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't either. I mean, I from what I've heard, anytime they even say the word Padres, the, uh, the people meter ratings drop. Well, speaking Padres dropping. Uh, let's segue to uh, talking about the team. Uh, it is now May. We've seen a full month of this team. They are not into the double-digit win column yet. Um, in fact, uh, they are one of the worst teams in baseball so far, not just by their record, um, but by uh, run differential, by projections going forward, by Las Vegas odds, pretty much anything you want to look at that would be something that you could actually uh, you know, call a reasonable opinion about the team. They're not doing too well. Um, you know, wh- where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with the record-setting team shutouts for the month? Do you want to start well, with... Well, <laughs> I, I think it's something we should all be celebrating. Um, some of us have advocated for this for years. Uh, we've jokingly called it the accidental Lunau, or maybe best case, a stealth Lunau. Um, tanking is what we've been wanting. So it's hard for me to complain about everything, um, certainly not the record, because... Uh, finishing in the murky middle was the worst possible outcome for this season, and it's looking like we're exceeding expectations for awfulness. Um, m- I mean, my only general issues are, as part of a stealth Lunau, assuming this is planned, um, I-, I think the young players should maybe be getting a little more at-bats, some development time, but as far as the results go, to improve our draft position and, and to improve our tanking, uh, bravo, I think. No, totally. And, you know, back in February, I wrote an article called The Best Realistic Outcome for the 2016 Padres. And it was premised on the fact that, look, they weren't going to contend for the World Series. Um, what was there, What is there to really root for? And the bottom line was two things, player development and a forced hand. Uh, and what that meant was just that, you know, our top prospects actually progress, which is something historically we haven't gotten from the Padres. Um, and our top major league players, which I think I defined as Will Myers and Corey Spangenberg, two guys that would be here for a long time, uh, developed. Uh, and the forced hand simply meant that they played so poorly to start the year that they couldn't even possibly justify hanging on to Andrew Kashner at the deadline um, uh, or, or anyone else with some short-term value. For example, um, Melvin Upton or James Shields, if one of them suddenly becomes movable, or John Jay, Fernando Rodney, any of those guys. Uh, and I think that's what we've had so far. I mean, you know, obviously they're off to a poor start. Mike D was on the radio the other day, basically balking and and potentially um, showing his hand that maybe they will actually rebuild. Um, maybe they won't actually. Uh, I know. Are you, are you liking all this backtracking by uh, Fowler and D? Oh, they need to be fired. Uh, okay, well Fowler can't be fired, but but D needs to be fired. He can't be here when uh, they start to rebuild. But that's another subject. Um, but I, I do think it's a little bit funny to hear him do that yes to answer your question directly uh but you know in terms of player development they've had some decent development this year uh will myers actually looks pretty good um granted the strikeout rate is still pretty high above 30 percent right now um but he's drawing walks he's hitting for power he's hitting the ball really hard um he just had playing decently at first base no he's playing above average first base defense yeah which is a pleasant surprise um and, you know, Corey Spangenberg is, is hurt, but, um, you know, some of the guys in the farm system, like Hunter Renfro's had good power numbers at AAA. Um, 
Austin Hedges, Hedges uh, was, was off to he was start having good numbers. What's that? He was having good numbers. Well, yeah. Austin Hedges was off to a good start before he was hurt. Um, you know, there there are guys progressing. Javi Javi Guerra started horribly, but since then he's been playing decently. So. Look, I think, you know, from a realistic outcome, this is about as good as it could have gotten in terms of the team's playing poorly. They're probably going to tank and rebuild. They're going to get rid of the short-term pieces. They're going to continue to add to guys in the minor leagues that they have coming along, developing at an average pace, which is something, you know, an average pace of development for the Padres is like 90th percentile for them historically. So, yeah, I I don't think I'm I'm not mad about that at all. Um, It's almost funny, and it's almost fun to – I don't want to say it's fun to see them lose, but it's it's sometimes it's fun to watch the futility because the people in charge of the team being so futile are so easy to root against. I think that's another part of this. I mean, I'll go ahead and say it's not that fun. Um, no one wants to see Mike D get fired more than me, but um, I mean, it is a little painful to watch. And I think there's a big difference between tanking with veteran players, which isn't really tanking. It's just it's just being really bad. Uh, hence the accidental Lunau. Um, it's totally different watching that than watching young players try to develop, and if they fail, they're at least young players that you gave a shot. And I think it's, for an, from an entertainment standpoint of me watching the game or me going to a game, I'd much rather see a young prospect, uh, even an Alex Dickerson-level prospect, start and try, and uh, and if he fails, then... then there's one thing you can check off for the future um, than watching veteran players go out and fail. I, I, I just think it's different from an entertainment factor. Well, that's, so, and that's the next to step. me, watching, I mean, watching this April fail, was, it wasn't that fun for me. It, it's not that fun to watch. No, I mean, I don't mean that the games themselves are entertaining or fun to watch. What I mean is there's a little bit of schadenfreude there in the sense that, yeah, I mean, they're losing, but I expected them to lose. So I, have, I had no... I, I didn't have my hopes up. I wasn't expecting them to win, and I'm crushed because they lost. I knew they were going to be bad. And right. it wasn't that like I had this premonition they were going to be bad. I mean, all, everything pointed to them being bad. Uh, and when there are people that are making decisions thinking they're not going to be bad, and all of a sudden they're bad, a lot of times it is kind of in a shot and forth sense. I do care about the Padres, obviously. I mean, we're doing this podcast, and I've been writing about them for years, but like to see something like that come come to fruition, to see someone who's very dislikable and like D having to backtrack on the radio, that I think is at least It's a little satisfying. Enjoyable. A little it's, satisfying. Yes, okay. You get what I'm saying. Um but the, next the thing step, is the, next- the thing is that his incompetent blundering led could have led to, for instance, keeping Tyson Ross on the roster so that he could follow his uh his Don Quixote esque dreams of them competing this year um and i've said for a while on twitter and on the podcast that um i I admire aj preller sometimes for his brinksmanship and sometimes it pays off it paid off with kimbrell and the deadline last year but to to make it your policy that you will hold out for the maximal potential possible return in a trade there's a risk factor in that that i'm not sure aj preller calculates into into his plans and when you have an arm like tyson ross who throws so many sliders who's been um atop a lot of a lot of analyses on who could be injured in the future um i think you have to play a big risk factor in your calculations um 
And I, I don't, I'm not sure he did, and I think that's coming back to bite him. And I don't know if that's all A.J. Preller or if that's management, um, you know, trying to field a quote-unquote competitive team. But, I mean, th- that's a huge hit for this rebuilding effort. I wish it wasn't so much effort to pull up all the, the times that you and I advocated for selling Tyson Ross while you could. Um, but I know that there's a one, at least one in writing before even last year where we said, look, you got this guy for nothing. He's performing about as well as you could possibly expect. He's cheap. He's under team control for a few more years. Use him to get other assets. And, you know. Well, and the thing is, he was he was a four-war pitcher last year, right? That's a good pitcher. Maybe well, a great pitcher. It's a pitcher. It's but a really good pitcher, the, especially the, the, Especially noting the adjustments they now do. Like, I mean, you know, Major League Baseball right now is it's it's a pretty heavy game, and to still be getting four WAR while pitching at Petco Park in this era, you're putting up some pretty impressive statistics. Right, and a four WAR pitcher has a good return associated with him, and I would argue that the marginal difference from him going from a four WAR to let's say he pitched better this year and became a five WAR pitcher, the marginal difference in return for that isn't worth the risk uh, to wait it out, I believe. No, not, I mean, um, well, you have to remember the baseline for the Padres is that, you know, for as good as Tyson Ross is, he truly doesn't have value to this team. Like, like it, you have to take a step back. Like, the goal is to get a World Series title, right? Is your goal any different than that? No, of no. course not. Okay, so the team's not going to win the World Series this year, and the, their odds are very long next year. So it's just empty war. It's just, there, I mean, there's no reason to have someone good that isn't long-term figures when you could get something of value that could be useful when you're actually planning on winning the World Series. And that's not to say that the Potters shouldn't have pictures of Tyson Ross's caliber when they try to win the World Series, but, you know, two years from let's, let's say they traded Tyson Ross and they got back something decent. Two years from now, Tyson Ross is a free agent. Maybe you you can sign him or you can get another player, you know, that way. There's... Uh, it's it's frustrating because it was so obvious to you and I, and this that's not even our job. We're just fans, and even to fans it was obvious, and they've held him, and now he's hurt on the DL, and who knows when he's going to be back. I, I don't even expect him back, to be honest with you. Well, I'm not honestly expecting him back either, and I read a report yesterday that didn't sound, didn't sound glowing. Um, and the thing is, like, the, the waiting, waiting to deal him, it's it's... He was our one chip that we could get a good return on, and I I think that he's going to have injury concerns follow him now. Like, even if he comes back in June, pitches a few starts, there's always the question in, in the back of a GM's mind that that arm or shoulder is ready to go. And that decreases value on the market. Um, yeah, I so. mean, I think the only chance is that he comes back fully healthy, the velocity numbers are there, and he's lights out for, like, you know, six to eight starts before the deadline. But I don't see that happening. So... You know, you're talking I mean, about- it could happen, but again, when you look at odds and probabilities, I don't think that that's a high probability expectation. And when you're gambling a team's future on it, I don't think that you take those low odd returns. I mean, I think you take what you can get. And and the the thing you would read from someone defending the team on this is, you know, AJ just didn't see a deal he he liked, so he you know he just went into the season with Tyson Ross. But the thing is. Maybe that means AJ's asking too much or thinks that his value is too high or has unrealistic expectations for the return on Tyson. And I think some of that is founded on not not calculating in a, a probability of injury or a probability of, of performance decline. I think it's looking at things with, a rose, with rose-colored glasses and assuming that he would return and pitch as many innings as he did last year, no injuries, and that 
probably that he would actually improve this year and base your, your valuations off of that. And I can say that in the finance industry, traders that try to sell and buy based only on the historical highs and lows of a security, they're not the ones getting rich. The people that are getting rich are the ones that take the profits when they have them. Um, and the Padres had plenty of profit built into this this transaction that they could have realized by trading him this offseason. And it's concerning to me that that a building block for the future, which is what Tyson Ross is, he's currency for the future, um, was, was left out there to go pitch. And then to make it worse, the team cheaps out on getting an MRI, lets him go play long toss with an injury to his shoulder, and and now he's out for even longer. Um, it's concerning to me that the team would put pitchers, and it repeated again with Robbie Erlin where they had him go throw without doing an MRI. Um, it's concerning to me that you would put them in, in harm's way by doing that without just taking the simple precaution of taking a look at it. I mean... And I'm not a doctor. I, um, no, no, I did a little I'm not research a either, on MRIs, and there I, I, is you know, a marginal risk in having too many MRIs, same as getting x-rays. But uh, I think when you compare the risk of, of an MRI versus the risk of doing long toss on, a, on some kind of torn or some kind of injury in a shoulder, I think, I think I would side with the long toss or the throwing session being more dangerous to an injury. I, I do not disagree with that at all. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what more I can add. I mean, I'm, but you and I are see completely eye eye on this. It's, it's beyond disappointing to see because it was so obvious, obvious years. Um, yeah. And the thing is all our other trading chips are, they're pretty much kaput in value. And John Gennaro has talked extensively on make the Padres great again about, uh, Derek Norris's value just collapsing and, We've got a catcher who's got an OPS of about 420, um, fielding poorly, um, not throwing runners out at the same ratio as he did last year. He basically had his value collapse, and um, it's disappointing that the the very few pieces we had that had trade value are either injured or have declined um, in performance this year. Yeah, I, I still think there's a small sample caveat with Derek Norris. I mean, he, he has the ball. Like if you look at bad ball, you know he's certainly yeah he's high exit velocity, um, but he's not walking. His uh, his OBP is pretty poor. Um, he's striking out quite a bit, and I think the the defense is troubling to me. Well, I think his defense was kind of always a mirage, at least last year. I mean, the the reason the stolen base percentage was, uh, I mean, the constant stealing percentage was up is because people were stealing a lot, you know, because his scouting report said run on him, and so. Uh, you know, everyone was running on him, and I think that forced uh, below optimal playing out of opponents, and that's why he had an uptick in stolen percentage um, or caught stealing percentage. Sorry, but I, I don't necessarily buy that Derek Norris is completely kaputs. I think that yeah, obviously now is not an ideal time to trade him, but I, I would be pretty surprised if he didn't end the year at over one win above replacement at least. He was projected at over two to start the year, but. You know he's so far behind. I think he's like negative half a win right now. It'll it would take some. It would take a pretty good month or two to get him back over his yearly projection. But I still think he's a pretty decent player. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go crazy on one month of data. I've seen. Uh, so I think many he's fine. I mean, I've I think he's so fine. But players had a bad month. I mean, Jim Edmonds did the same thing. We cut him, and then he, you know, he came back and crushed it the rest of the year. 
Kevin Kuzminov had an absolutely horrific April and then was one of the best players in the second half of the year, his rookie year for the Padres. So, like, this is something that, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little redundant to keep watching him go up there and suck. But, I mean, from a projection standpoint, he's going to be a good player. I, I'm not – he's one of my least worries at this point, especially because – well, I guess, I guess I hope the Padres don't sell him now. That would be dumb. I think you have to hold on to him at this point. Yeah, so I mean, that, that would be sense, dumb. You don't have it. In that sense, he's no longer currency because you kind of have to hold him. But um, let's talk yeah, about. Yeah, and, and I mean, we've argued on his value on Twitter uh, last week, actually. But um, I think we have differing opinions on what his max value is on the market in a trade. Um, I, you know, I, I still think he's worth more than. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I see differently on this because he still has another year left. Um, Two years, I think, right? Yeah, no. So this is his first arbitration year. Yeah, he, he still has two years left. And look, I know that every year they go into arbitration, they get closer and closer to their market value. But this is still a guy who's been a two and a half war catcher, you know, on average the last three years. Not many guys can say that across baseball. And I don't think, like, I, I don't think there's been like an, a serious injury. Like, he's playing every day. His exit velocity is good. I think this is just one of his worst months ever. And I, I'm not going to do it, especially when you're a team like the Padres, who can't afford to be patient. They, they absolutely can't afford to be patient and wait on this. So the only comparison I had, and this is when you know you and I had this discussion on Twitter. Um, uh, well, what player was it that was traded? Um, the uh, catcher for the Astros, Evan, or uh, for the Braves, Evan Gaddis. He was traded for uh, what I would consider a significant package. And Gaddis is the worst player that doesn't really play catcher. So. Um, you know, this is something where if you're a team towards the deadline and you need a catcher, this is a player that could be of use to you, especially if he has a good month leading up to that. So um, plus, you know, two cheaper years down the line. And this always comes back to the fact that if you want to sign a in a free agency, you're going to super overpay. I mean, that's how free agency works. You're not going to get a player for two years in Norris's salary because it just does not exist. Um, if you're if you want to top you know, a two-plus win catcher in free agency, you're going to pay Russell Martin, and he's going to strike out 30 times in his first 60 at-bats in 2016, two years into his contract. Right. Um, so in terms of – it always comes down to the alternatives for the trading team. And if the alternative for the trading team is, you know, way worse than Derek Norris, which I think is going to be the case, then Derek Norris has plenty of value. So I'm not worried about him. I know you and I don't see eye to eye on that, but um, – that's that's fine. I, I think it's good that we have differing opinions, and it only takes one one uh, entire front office to think the way I think for it to kind of work out. So um, at this point, it's it's yeah, you just have to kind of play him and um, you know hope Austin Hedges comes back healthy, but not super fast, so that ownership doesn't force him to the major leagues and you know start that whole that whole concern. But I'm not well. I'm not. Let's be positive for one second. People say we're not positive. Uh, what's your positive takeaway from April? Well, I think there's been a few. I mean, uh, first of all, the minor leagues hasn't been completely horrible. It started that way, but it hasn't been since then. Um, I think, uh, first, Logan Allen, one of the guys that got back from the Campbell uh, trade, um, Hunter Renfro, I know recently has not been so great, but his highlight reels are fantastic in AAA, by the way. Um, and we did have a couple of gifs I put on the website last week. Uh, you know, Guerra's had some power. Like, I, I just think the overall development of the minor system, even though it's not a good minor league system, has been average to above average to start the year. Um, 
Austin Hedges changed his swing, by the way. I have an article coming out about that, but um, and that's to blame or to credit for his uh, progression this year. And I, I guess at the major league level, it's Drew Pomeranz. I mean, that that has to be the answer, right? Like, they found a good pitcher well, out of nowhere. I'm going to go Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp has been yeah, pleasure, pleasurable to watch so far. Yeah, one walk, though, man. I, I don't know if that's a function of who's hitting behind him or, or if it's just that he has no play discipline anymore. But, like, I, I think even though the numbers are there, it would take a pretty dumb GM to actually still absorb that contract. So while it's, it's been an it's definitely been an above-average year for him, I just don't think it's materially materially changed it yet for him. At least not but as look, much as You, you keep putting up home runs, and you're going to lure some some GM to take him. There are enough Dave Stewarts in the league that uh, I, I think you can get someone to take him. You just need the home runs. That's, I mean, I guess if Vernon Wells was movable, Matt Kemp is movable, I totally agree with that. But I, I would say that that's, especially because of the money, the next few years doesn't matter as long as they're still using a ton of money in international free agency and whatever. And if they max it out this year, it doesn't even matter going forward anyways. You know, that that's less of a concern to me than, say, the Padres discovering that Drew Pomeranz is as good as the fifth pick that uh, the Rockies spent on him back in 2010 or whatever. Like, that has been a much bigger surprise to me um, than, than Matt Kemp playing decently for a month. Uh, Melvin Upton has actually played pretty well, too. Um, now, granted, the past week has been bad, so he's kind of fallen back to earth in terms of wins above replacement. Well, but That's a little concerning also. He's basically falling back to... He's very close to a zero-war player again. Um, I think some of that... And this ties into, our, our I think, our final topic today, but uh, he gained a lot of value last year by playing a very good center field, and he's being put into left field, and I think that his impact on the fielding has been less in that position. Um, obviously, his hitting has taken a step back. His average has fallen um, after his hot start, and that's a little concerning... Um, but I think there's better ways that the team could maximize Melvin Upton's impact on the team. And I'm, to me, there's not much doubt that he's a better hitter than, than John Jay. Um, he certainly has more tools. He has more potential. And every day, you know, I kind of think other than Matt Kemp, John Jay most likely has the most at-bats on the, on the team. Um, he, he starts pretty much every day in center field. There's no deviation in moving him over to left field. And today's lineup is a good example. Jankowski's having his first start of the season in left field, even though he's by far our best fielding center fielder. So that raises – and this, this isn't even getting into the whole Jabari Blash topic of him sitting on the bench so that Melvin Upton can play left and John Jay can play center field. But there's this unreasonable impulse to continue starting John Jay despite his you know, 650 – Sub 650 OPS, um, his sometimes questionable fielding in center field, and yet he's rolled out there every day, every single day. And for a team that's, you know, building, um, maybe having the veteran uh, underperforming center fielder isn't the best option when you've got Jankowski, Mad Fryer's number one prospect on the team. Uh, sitting on the bench every day. You have a Rule 5 27-year-old player sitting on the bench every day. And as of today, we now have another outfielder, Alex Dickerson, uh, sitting on the bench every day. So this is my biggest issue with Andy Green. Um, I don't know what the impulse is here. I don't know if it's that John Jay's a likable guy. I don't know if it's because A.J. Preller wants to save face 
you know, taking on the money. I don't know if Fowler refuses to eat the money by by releasing John Jay, but it's baffling to me. Yeah, and I think at this point, he's had 109 plate appearances. I pulled it up while you were there. He's tied with Will Myers for most plate appearances on the team. Uh, he's got a 76 weighted runs created plus, which is uh, abhorrent. It's like so bad that it's not, uh, it's just so bad. And his BABIP is 361, which means he's overperforming what he should be doing based on the balls he's put into play. Uh, and he's playing a bad center field. He's not playing a good center field. He's made a bunch of, uh, you know, poor decisions off the bat. He's had a few where he's, like, turned around weird. And it's just been a pretty ugly year for him all around. And not to mention the fact that so many of his balls are just weak dribblers in the infield. I, I can't remember a Padres player that hits so weakly – um, for such a consistent, sustained period to start the year. Um, but at this point, you know, the hope for him, I guess, when you got him, and I still disagree with that trade, by the way, and that had nothing to do with the fact that Jericho killed us when he was in town. Um, well, let's not go patting ourselves on the back, Marver. No, I'm okay. I mean, that's still a long-term thing, right? You're going to have to wait to the end of that contract and know exactly what, what you won or lost there. But regardless... You know, the hope with Jay was that maybe he has a super career year and just from some stroke of luck, either get something at the deadline or maybe he has such a ridiculous year from an on-base percentage perspective, whether by luck or by an actual good year, that you could somehow get a comp pick out of it. But that ship has sailed, man. 109 plate appearances into the year with a... Well, that was extre- extremely unlikely to start. Oh, I know. And we had a podcast before where I said the odds of that were like 1%. But now it's 0%. Like, that ship has sailed. It's gone. They should be playing Travis Jankowski in center or moving up to the center and playing Blash slash Jankowski in left field. I mean, that it, it, it's so painfully obvious at this point. And the thing is, yeah, we want them to tank. And I think they're actually worse playing John Jay. So I'm not complaining too much about it. But it does seem like it's getting in the way, in the way of development. I mean, yesterday before the game before the Potters got blanked by Kershaw, I tweeted about how, you know, why are we starting John Jay, a left-handed hitter, against the best lefty in the game when you have a perfectly young, fine, right-handed hitter on the bench that you, I guess, wanted to develop? I mean, you spent a Rule 5 pick and you're keeping him on the roster for some reason. Why is he not playing in that game? And John Jay went ahead and struck out four times. Not that that justifies what I was saying, but it's like they're not even... You know, I, I could understand if John Jay was getting 80% of the plate appearances and someone else was getting, you know, 20% or 75-25. And you were at least giving the young guy a start every time through the rotation like you do the backup catcher. Like they did Austin Hedges last year. But they're not even, they're not even doing that. I mean, it's, it's to the point where that player is just not playing, um, which is frustrating. And I think, you know, unless they're really doing it because they think they're worse and they actually are stealth loonowing, which I do not believe for one second, it doesn't make sense to me. And that has to change. Yeah, and the thing with Jay is he's only going to get worse. He's got a bad bip of like 361. Uh, it's going to regress downward. Um, he's, there's just not any value in that. And I think best case, very best case, maybe you get a Will Venable type return, which is maybe you know a high potential maybe you know a lottery pick reliever out of it that's assuming you play him all year and at the same time you're losing development time with blash with jinkowski with dickerson i don't know it's just baffling to me and i don't understand andy green's you know for a man that talks about 
accountability and merit, I, I don't get it. It's it, that's that's my biggest question with Andy Green so far. Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of so we were talking about positives and uh, we we talked about Pomeranz, Will Myers. You mentioned Matt Kemp, um, some of the minor league stuff. Uh, do you care to talk negatives for a second? I mean, we, we sure hitting hinting at them. All right, what do you think is the biggest negative this year besides Tyson Ross's injury? Um, I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, I I think the bullpen has been like a talking okay, point. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, I think, I I think the poor performance of Kashner, the poor performance of Kashner is my biggest thing. Um, I was hoping that he would perform a little better and maybe we could pawn him off at the trade deadline for something good, but, uh. It's not looking like that's going to happen. He's been okay. I don't think he's been good or bad. I think, you know, the next few starts leading up to the deadline, you know, across May and June will really determine if you can get back more than a comp pick for him. Um, but, I mean, at, at this point, he's a, he's a pretty obvious, or at least to me, I've read off as the Padres are going to go through the year with Andrew Kashner. They're going to offer him, a you know, the um, – Qualifying offer. Qualifying offer. He's going to decline. He's going to go to the free the free agency, and that'll actually hurt him in terms of what he gets in the contract. But I think ultimately he will get one, and the Potters will get a comp pick back from him. I, I, it's really hard for me to envision a scenario where they get more back from trade. I think the only other way that it works is the Potters don't even want artists to comp uh, the um, comp pick at the end of the year by offering him a about fourteen million dollars when your contract. Um, which I think, by the way, would be an awful move by the Padres. I think that he is definitely not going to accept. Um, but they want to get away from that and just take anything back and return at the deadline, kind of like what they did for Chase Headley. Um, I hope they don't do that, but that's, that's my biggest fear uh, with him at this point. I would say well, one of the other negatives on the pitching staff is, and I, you probably see it differently, but I don't think Colin Ray has pitched very well. Um, I actually concur. He's been, I think he's been pretty weak and a little disappointing. He's had glimmers, but he's also had really bad starts too. Yeah. And this is also one of the most pitching heavy years in recent memory. I mean, if you look across the league and pitchers statistics are incredible. I mean, I'm I'm in a fantasy league right now where my whip is 1.05, which historically would have been one of the best whips like ever for a team in fantasy. And I'm in third in that category. So, this is an absolutely incredible start to the year for pitchers. So when you look at the pitcher statistics and you see an ERA of 4.61, I mean, that's like someone hitting 260 back in 1998. Like, that's how bad that is, in my opinion. So yeah. I'm I'm pretty uh, bearish on Colin Ray at this point. I think for him, it, it's looking more and more like he's certainly a very back-of-the-end rotation arm. Um, cause, Which has you know, value. Again, but... no, no, of course, it has value, but... You know, it's not it's it's nothing that's going to move the needle long term, and especially because generally young pitchers, you know, whereas hitters, for example, can have uh, several hundred plate appearances where they just don't look very good. I mean, even Mike Trout didn't look very good in his first stint in the majors. Pitchers generally look really good right away. That's um, it's just how the aging curves work for pitchers. So the fact that he's not being good is actually uh, cause for significant concern, in my opinion. Well, it's not so bad that I'm ready to pull the plug on the uh, Colin Ray experiment. Oh, no, definitely uh, not. I mean, 
he's better than the alternatives, I think. It's just that I think long-term, he's probably nothing more than a one-win pitcher. Oh, and I forgot to mention, Carlos Vargas. I don't. We don't need to talk about him a lot, but I think he's been a positive so far. We'll see if it lasts. He's only two, two starts in. But, uh, you know, the more of these... Uh, you know, bottom of the rotation, four or five guys that can perform the better, I think, because that's someone we don't sign later. Yeah, I just hope that it's not used as an excuse not to get good players. Um, We're tanking. We're tanking right now. We probably are tanking next year, too. I'm obviously talking long term. Like, I don't want those are the players you need to tank, though. You know, you get some cheap players that you can just call up from AAA and, and install in there. And that's money that you can devote elsewhere. So I'm all for those kind of players. Maybe developing. Who knows? You never know with a guy like that. So maybe you get Brian Lawrence, who's okay for a couple years. And of course, I'm an unabashed Brian Lawrence fan. So okay, well, um, you know what? Uh, I guess we, we can end it uh, here soon. But one one thing I want to hear from you because I'm not sure when we're going to do another podcast here, just based on our schedules. Um, what are you most looking to see the Padres do in May? Like, what if you could have them do only one thing, starting Javari Blash or what? You know, whatever it is, what would you? I think I think you give John Jay 50 more at bats. Uh, I'm expecting him to either do worse or sustain his terrible uh, performance so far. And then I'd like to see some younger players start getting those at-bats and putting Jay on the bench a lot more, whether that's Jankowski, Blash, Dickerson. uh, I don't really care. I just want them evaluating those young players so that we know what we have going forward. So that's my ideal May so far. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree. I think playing – well, no, actually, if I could choose one thing, it would be not to call up significant minor leaguers until well after Super 2 status is gone. And I wrote about this. For the Padres, there's no reason for them to call up Hunter Renfro, no reason to call up Manny Margot. There's no reason to call up anyone who is a significant long-term asset because all you're going to do is start their arbitration clock, which essentially means that their final year with the Padres is not a value because they're going to get about market value their fourth time in arbitration. So I hope that they, if it means that they have to play John Jay for another month so they don't call up Hunter Renfro until mid-June, I'm okay with that. But um, So I think that's the most important thing. I, I agree with you, though, that it would be nice to see Jankowski play over John Jay. And, and to be honest, they should be seeing what happened to Jabari Blash. And another player that goes with both accidental Lunau and our whole see what the young players have, why not start Luis Perdomo? I mean, he's bad. In terms of statistics right now, he's been awful. Um well, I mean, who are you not going to start? I mean, the, the, they're starting three players who you could who you could say they're evaluating young players in Pomeranz, Ray, and Vargas. Um, I mean, they're not going to bench Shields and they're not going to bench Kashner. So, I mean, there's not really any room for him. He's getting he's getting yeah, innings. No, they're starting to put him in higher leverage situations. As long as they're evaluating those young arms in the rotation, I don't have a huge problem with it. Yeah, I guess I guess not me either. But I guess if something opens up, I, I hope they go to Pordomo because look, you're carrying a very high risk or a very very high variance player on your roster. Just throw him in there, see what you get. If he sucks, it helps the team long term, anyways. I mean, those are the things I kind of want to see right now. So um, also, he hasn't given up a home run yet, which is rare for a Padres player or a Padres pitcher. He's gone. He's just given up lots of regular runs. Ten and two thirds. Yeah, I mean, his FIP's good. I mean, he's not walking a lot of guys. Um, I think he has maybe like four walks in 11 innings, um, yeah, which is no okay. They're just, they're just literally battering all of his pitches. Yeah, I think that's a little bit bad luck over 11 innings. But 
but anyways, um, yeah, I guess that's 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 all I got for today. Um, it's been a pretty shitty month watching them play. I've watched every game so far. Haven't missed anything. It's you know like 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 we talked about earlier. It's both brutal and it's uh, at some level uh, enjoyable. Um, well, let's keep watching. Uh, keep listening to Padres Wednesday with Mike D. You know, there's little little things we can look forward to every week. The game just started tonight against the Rockies, and we'll see how they do. All right. Well, anything else from you today? I think that's I, it. That's yeah. it. I'm re- ready to sit down and watch the Padres game and drink a beer tonight. Me too. All right. Well, um, until next time, Padres fans, go Padres. Go Padres. This one grabbed by Caminiti. Man, that's one you can hang a star on. It's going in. Go! Grand slam, Ken Caminiti. Need a hero call on Caminiti. You can bet the man is always ready. Grand slamming, he's jamming. You can always count on Caminiti. From the left side, from the right side. Either way, his hitting has a bright side. Hey, there's a man that we know, Caminiti. He can dive, he can slide, and he's piling up the ribbies. The MVP playing here in our city. Hey, Caminiti. Hey, there's a man that we know, Caminiti. Hits a home run, and it sure looks pretty. Plays when he's hurt, because the man is tough and gritty. Hey, Caminiti. Now don't you worry about the line drives that come his way. You know the man dives, won't let them get by him. And at the plate, you know they won't deny him. Caminiti to his left. Oh, a great stop in between hops. Joiner grabs down on the bag and got him. What a great play by Ken Caminiti. Terrific play by Caminiti. Put him on third. Hey, the man is like a magnet. Hit a line drive and the man is going to grab it. Try to steal third. Better watch out because he'll tag you. Hey, Caminiti. Hey, there's a man that we know, Caminiti. He can dive, he can slide, he can drive in the ribbies. The MVP playing here in our city. Hey, Caminiti. 